Thank you for being here today. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We'll get to that in just a moment if you just have it ready there for John chapter 1. John chapter 1, excuse me. Anybody else got the pollen cough? For the past two weeks, we've been asking you this question. Who's your one? Who's the one person you'll commit to pray for and share Christ with in the next 12 months? Now, here's what we've been learning, really, in the last couple of weeks. What we've been focusing on is this, that there's really far more involved in following Jesus than than just following Jesus. That's definitely part of it. That's definitely an important part of your relationship with the Lord. But what we've been learning is that once you become a Christian, you should be concerned about those who aren't. Once you come to that place where you put your faith in Christ, you could be concerned about those who haven't yet done that. Or to put it another way, people who follow Jesus tell others how they can follow Jesus. But here's the question some of you may be wrestling with right now, or you may have been wrestling with in the last couple of weeks as we've been asking, who's your one? The question sometimes we wrestle with is this one. Why should we bother people about what they believe? Why not believe what you want to believe and just leave others alone? The trend today is to talk about faith as a private matter. So why should we even consider intruding into somebody else's life and telling them about Jesus? You may have the philosophy, you know what, I think we should just come to church on Sunday, live our lives the way we think we ought to live them during the week, and then come back to church next Sunday. We don't need to bother anybody. We don't need to risk offending someone. Let's just live our lives, let them live their lives. Let's just believe what we want to believe, let them believe what they want to believe, and we'll let God sort it all out in the end. Or to ask it this way, Why should I be concerned? Why should you be concerned about finding your one? You know what? That's a really good question. Why should we bother people about what they believe? That's a really good question. Why not just let people believe what they want to believe and we'll believe what we want to believe? We'll let God sort it all out in the end. That's a really good question. And today we're going to be looking at what some of the first followers of Jesus did and And maybe it will help us to answer that question. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, you've already turned there. The Gospel of John chapter 1 is the story of some of the first followers of Jesus. It's interesting what they did once they found Jesus. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. Why don't we, in honor of God's Word, just stand today as we read the text. Beginning in verse 29, follow closely. I've got a good bit to read, so make sure you follow closely as we read this together. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who does what, church? Yes. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed important word, that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. 
I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I have seen and I testify this is the what? Yes. Now watch this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Now, watch closely what happens. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Thank you. Would you be seated? So why should we find our one? Why should you find your one? Well, there are three things in this text I want to show you today. There's three reasons, if you will, why you and I should be perhaps finding someone who needs to know about Jesus. And here's the first reason. Number one, God has done something special to deal with our sin problem. God has done something special to deal with our sin problem. John the Baptist, as we read about in the first part there, John the Baptist was divinely appointed by God as the forerunner to Jesus. He came to introduce Jesus to the world, if you will. And when John saw Jesus, he immediately pointed others to Jesus with these words. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was saying something very, very important. John was saying, here is the sacrifice that will atone for the sins of the world. Now everybody look up here, I want to tell you something. This was new information. Do you understand that? This was new information. Because up until this point, in every religion, salvation was not found in anyone. Salvation was found in a what? Not a who. In other words, salvation was, up until this point, was based on what you do, how well you perform it, how well you keep the law. But John was saying, when he said, look, John was saying, God has done something new in history. He didn't send a a code of conduct. He didn't send a new philosophy. He sent us a person. He sent someone. To be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. You see, John was saying, I don't want, this is not about a new belief system. This is about something God has done in history. This is about a someone, not a something. This is about a someone. God has done something. He sent someone to deal with our sin problem. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know why you ought to be concerned about your one? Because you probably know someone who has a sin problem. 
God has done something in history to deal with it. Maybe you know someone who's got a sin problem and it's very evident in their life because they're struggling with an addiction. Or maybe you know someone's got a sin problem and it's very evident because they have ruined their marriage with illicit relationships. Or, or maybe you know someone who has a sin problem and, it, and it's very evident because they're miserable and nothing seems to satisfy them. Or maybe you know someone who has a sin problem but it's really not that evident because they're a good person. And they're, they're treating people right and living a pretty good life. But you know they're living life separated from God. You know they don't know the God that, that you have found. And here's our goal with that someone. Our goal is not to out-argue them. Our goal is not to answer all of their questions. Our goal is not to prove that our religion is better than their religion. Our goal is to say to them, in whatever way we want to say it, our goal is to say, listen, you need to understand, God has done something in history to deal with our sin problem. God sent someone to deal with our sin problem. And the reason that's important is because Acts chapter 4 verse 12, you might want to write that down if you take your notes. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else. Would you agree with that? Salvation is found in no one else. In other words, there's no other person, there's no other way to deal with this sin problem. Why do you need to be concerned about your one? Because you probably know one who has a sin problem. And salvation is found in no one else. How in the world are they going to know that if you never talk to them about it? How will they know if you don't tell them? You see, you need to understand the message of salvation is not intuitive. What I mean by that is, if you're sitting under, the, under a tree and you're a deep thinker and just trying to think about the things of the world, you're probably not going to come up with the idea that God sent His Son into the world to be the sacrifice for our sins. If you were the deepest thinker and had the highest IQ, you wouldn't come to the conclusion that God has done something special in history when He sent His Son Jesus to the world. It's not intuitive. You can have the highest IQ in the world and not know that. In fact, Stephen Hawking, who died this past year, Stephen Hawking was seen by many as the world's smartest person. Stephen Hawking was a renowned theoretical physicist. He wrote a book called A Brief History of Time. He suggested mind-bending theories of the universe, trying to explain this universe we lived in, trying to explain it without God, because he was an atheist. Highest IQ in the world, smartest person in the world, one of the, wrote one of the best-selling books in, in, of all time, and yet he was an atheist. His mind, though it was like a supercomputer, could not conceive that God had done something in history to deal with the world's sin problem. In fact, Stephen Hawking said this. He said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. See, that's why you and I need to find our one. Because the message of salvation is not a message they will normally come up with on their own. 
John the Baptist said, look, God's done something amazing. God's done something incredible. God has sent his son. He, there is the answer to the world's sin problem. There's a second reason you and I need to find our one. That's because we've had a personal encounter with Jesus. I hope you can say that. I hope that's your testimony. I hope that is a certainty in your heart and in your life. And if not today at the invitation, I want you to make it a certainty. I want you to nail it down. But if you've had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, you have a reason to find your one. Let me show it to you in the text, verse 37. When the two disciples... When the two disciples heard him say this, heard John the Baptist say, look, the Lamb of God, they followed Jesus. Look at verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what did he ask them? What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and watch this, and spent the day with him. It was about the ninth hour. It's interesting how Jesus connected with these two men. He connected, he be, he connected through them. He began a conversation with them. Watch this, with a question. He doesn't debate them. He doesn't try to prove to them who he is. He asked them a simple question that led to a day-long Spiritual conversation. The Bible says they spent the day with him. And it all started with a simple question. You know what? That's a pretty good model for us to follow. Perhaps a good way for you and I to get involved in spiritual conversations would be with a question. I mean, we ask people questions all the time. We see people and we ask the question. In fact, I bet you've asked this question today. How you doing? How many people have asked that question today? Raise your hand. All right? A lot of you, most of you, several people today have asked me that question. I've asked that question. How you doing? Now, we sometimes even ask that question of people we don't even know. You ever done that? Maybe you're opening the door at the convenience store for somebody to go in. Hey, how you doing? You don't know these people. But you're asking them a question. How you doing? Now, whenever you've asked that question, whether it's a stranger or a church member, whenever you've asked someone, how you doing, have you ever gotten this response? Well, it's none of your business. Why would you ask me such a personal question? No. You know why? Because our society is used to people asking questions. It's normal. We ask people how they're doing. We ask people where they live. We ask people what they do for a living. We ask people how many kids they have. We ask people, do you have any grandkids? We ask questions all the time, and it's normal. It's accepted. It doesn't freak anybody out. It doesn't offend anybody. And so what I want to do today is to give you four questions you can ask anybody that might lead to a deeper spiritual conversation. That's what Jesus did. He asked a question. He said, what do you want? And that led to a deeper, day-long conversation. So are there some questions that we could ask that might lead to deeper spiritual conversations? And I think there are. The first two that I'm going to give you are what James Merritt calls permission questions. I got these from him, permission questions. He said, a lot of the times, and he witnesses to a lot of people, leads a lot of people to the Lord. And a lot of times he'll begin with one of two questions. Here they are. Number one, 
Would you mind talking about spiritual things? Do you mind talking about spiritual things? <clears throat> Let me set the stage for you. You're in an Uber. You know what an Uber is, by the way? You're in an Uber. It's a, like a taxi, but you, somebody, it's somebody's personal car. But you're out of town, you're traveling, and you're in an Uber, and, and you're traveling with somebody, you know, they're driving you to the airport or whatever, and, and you call this person by name, him or her by name, and, and as you're just talking about, you're asking those common questions like, how's your day, uh, have any family here, where are you from, those kind of questions. And somewhere in that conversation, you can just throw in another simple question. Hey, do you mind if we talk about spiritual things? Not a big question. Here's the second one. Closely, uh, a lot like it, but a little bit different. May I ask you a spiritual question? It might, be, it might go something like this. Hey, you know, we, we've been talking about your kids and, and where you grew up. Could, could I ask you a spiritual question? It's a permission question. Now, when you ask either of those two questions, don't push, don't coerce, don't try to manipulate the conversation. This is just a permission question. If they say, well, you know, I'd rather you not, that's fine. Move on. You've done what the Lord wanted you to do. Apparently, God's not working in their life right now. So if you ask the permission question and they say, no, I'd rather you not, then, then you don't have to worry about it. But if you ask the permission question and say, well, sure, that'd be fine. Here's two follow-up questions you can use. So the first two were permission questions. The next two questions I want to give you are follow-up questions. If they say, sure, that would be fine, or I'd like to do that, or whatever, here's two follow-up questions. Number one, and I got these from Bill Fay. Number one is this, do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? So my first question, my permission question, do you mind if we talk about spiritual things? They said, sure, that's fine. And my second question, my follow-up question is, well, tell me, do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? You're not telling them they're right or wrong. You're not, you're not trying to push them into anything. You're trying to listen to where they are in their walk with God. Do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? Or here's another good follow-up question. This, is, this one is gold. I love this question. I've used this question. This one is so good. To you, who is Jesus? Really, you can find out in, in just a moment where they are spiritually. So the permission question, do you mind if we talk about spiritual things? Or do you mind if, if I ask you a spiritual question? Then a follow-up question is, to you, who is Jesus? If they shut the door, then leave them alone. But if they open the door, walk through it and talk about it might with that simple question it might turn into a gospel conversation if you're taking notes I want you to write down this reference Acts chapter 4 verse 20 Acts chapter 4 verse 20 two of Jesus' followers said this for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard in other words God's done something amazing in our world but he's also done something amazing in our lives God's done something amazing in our world, point number one. But He's also done something amazing in our lives. And we can't help but speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. You see, God not only did something amazing in history, He's done something amazing for you. And if that's true, if He's done something amazing for you, if you've had a personal encounter with Jesus... Doesn't it make sense that the next thing to do would be to tell somebody else who still needs to have that encounter? But here's the problem for most of us. Listen to this. Here's the problem most of us are going to have. 
The problem for most of us is this. The longer you've been a Christian, the more likely it is you take for granted how good the good news is. Let me say that again. The longer you've been a Christian, the more likely it is you take for granted how good the good news is. I'll give you an example from my own life. I figured it up this week. I've been a Christian for 47 years. Blew my mind when I thought about it. 47, I'm 58, so I've been a Christian 47 years. I saved at age 11. Been a Christian 47 years. You know what? That was so long ago when I began my journey with Jesus, I forgot what it's like to worry about what happens when I die. I don't ever worry about what, I know what happens when I die. I know where I'm going when I die. That's not a concern of mine. I've forgotten how good the good news is, that you don't have to worry about what happens when you die. I was so young when I came to faith in Christ. I was just a young boy when I came to faith in Christ. I didn't struggle with regrets from a painful past. I mean, I was just 11, for goodness sake. I didn't smoke or chew or cuss or go with girls that do. You know, I was just a good little guy. I didn't have a painful past to regret. And over these 47 years, I've forgotten how good the good news is. I've been walking with Jesus for so long, I, I forget what it's like to be confused about how I can have a relationship with God. I, the gospel is so crystal clear in my heart and in my mind, I, I forget what it's like not to know that, not to understand that, or maybe not even to know who Jesus is. I've been a Christian for so long, I forget what it's like to live without hope and to live without God in my life. See, since, since the age of 11, for 47 years, God has been a part of my life. I forget what it's like to live life separated from Him. See, ladies and gentlemen, the longer you've been a Christian, the more likely it is you'll forget how good the good news is. Now think about your one. If no one ever tells them how they can know God, that God can do something about their past, that God can do something about their present, that God can do something about their future, if no one dares to tell them, they may never experience what you've experienced all these years. Here's the third reason we need to find our one. First one was this, God's done something amazing in history. He sent Jesus to be the answer to our sin problem. The second was this. God's done something amazing in your life. You've had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And the third reason is this. We want others to find what we found. That's the reason we share. That's the reason we need to find one. We want others to find what we found. It's interesting when you look in this text that... Everybody's pointing somebody to Jesus. It begins with John the Baptist. He's pointing people to Jesus, and they in turn did the same thing. The Bible says that that Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And then it says a few verses later that Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus. Let's look at the text real quick, beginning in verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah That is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So if you were to say to 
If you were to say to Andrew, hey, Andrew, uh, who's your one? Who's one person that, that needs to know what you know, who needs to experience what you've just experienced? Who's your one? Well, he would have said, well, it's my brother. My brother Peter, he needs to know this. He needs to experience this. That's my one. It's, it's my brother. And some of you, you know where your one is? Your one is in your family. But your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad or your grandparents or somebody, you, you, a lot of you perhaps have your one is in your family. Somebody close to you. But then look on down in verse 43. There was another guy there. Verse uh, 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, and Philip found Nathanael. Nathanael was not a relative. Nathanael was a friend. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael said, Come and see. Do you, do you understand what's happening here? For both Andrew and for Nathaniel, the very first thing that they did just made sense to them. Somebody else needs to know this too. Who could I tell about this? God's done something amazing in history. He sent Jesus to be the answer to our sin problem. He's done something amazing in my life because I've had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Who do I know who needs to know this? Who do I know who needs to experience this? Oh, my brother, Peter. Oh, my friend, Nathaniel. Now, listen to me, church. When you have truly found Jesus, it should be natural that you want others to find Him too. I love what Dawson Trotman said. Dawson Trotman was a, a, a man who worked with navigators, led many, many people to faith in Christ and discipled them. Dawson Trotman, this is really good. Listen to what he said. People who point people to Jesus do so not because of what they know, but who they know and how much they want others to know Him. Not because of what we know, but who we know. And how much we want others to know Him. Can I ask you a question? Everybody look at me. Can I ask you a question? Is the Jesus you know worth knowing? me seriously the Jesus I know is so worth knowing he's so worth loving he's so worth sharing because I want others to know him too so who's your one imagine for a moment imagine that if every person here today could answer that question with a name one person, pray for, share with the next 12 months. If I could summarize today, if I could summarize John chapter 1, it would simply be this. People who find Jesus find people who need to find Jesus. People who find Jesus find people who need to find Jesus. Andrew found Peter. Philip found Nathaniel. Because people who find Jesus find people who need to find Jesus. So, who's your one?
Pray with me about that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never nailed that down, you certainly could do that today. We would invite you. I would be down front. I would love to pray with you and help you nail that decision down to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Others of you, you know who your one is. It's, it's that person in your family. Or it's that friend that you have. And part of the reason you struggle is because you know them so well and because they know you so well. But it still doesn't change the fact that there is an answer to their sin problem. And the answer is Jesus. And if you know Jesus, shouldn't you tell them about Him? Father, I pray you might help us do what we on our own probably won't do. On our own, we're comfortable. On our own, we like to stay in our little Christian cocoon. On our own, Lord, we just want to let the world be and, and we'll come to church on Sunday. But God, would you help us to follow you, to have a deeper walk with you than that? You help us to become concerned about those who have no relationship with you. Those who don't know that there is an answer to our sin problem. Work in our heart this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.